Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Standing by and welcome to the Pimena Pipeline Corporation 2021 Second Quarter Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only <clears throat> mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during this session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Cameron Golda, Vice President, Capital Markets. Thank you, sir. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Pemina's conference call and webcast to review the highlights from the second quarter of 2021. On the call with me today are Mick Dilger, President and Chief Executive Officer, Scott Burroughs, Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, Harry Anderson, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, Pipelines, Jarrett Sprout, Senior Vice President, Chief Operating Officer, Facilities. Stu Taylor, Senior Vice President, Marketing and New Ventures and Corporate Development Officer. And Janet LaDuca, Senior Vice President, External Affairs and Chief Legal and Sustainability Officer. I'd like to remind you that some of the comments made today may be forward-looking in nature and are based on PEMINA's current expectations, estimates, judgments, and projections. Forward-looking statements we may express or imply today are subject to risks and uncertainties which could cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. Further, some of the information provided refers to non-GAAP measures. To learn more about these forward-looking statements and non-GAAP measures, please see the company's management discussion and analysis dated August 5, 2021 for the period ended June 30, 2021, which is available online at Pemina.com and on both CDAR and EDGAR. With that, I'll now turn things over to Mick. Thanks, Cam. Good morning, everyone. We are pleased yesterday to announce that, the, that based on the year-to-date results and the outlook for the remainder of the year, Pemina has updated its 2021 adjusted EBITDA guidance by raising the low end of the range. Adjusted EBITDA is now expected to be $3.3 to $3.4 billion, effectively positioning us in the upper half of our original guidance range. <clears throat> Excuse me. Similar to what we have seen in our year-to-date results, growing confidence in our 2021 outlook reflects stronger-than-expected full-year marketing results, net of significant realized hedging losses, and modestly higher volumes across many of Pemina pipeline systems and facility. Relative to our original guidance range, these positive factors are being partially offset by stronger-than-expected Canadian dollar relative to the U.S. dollar, increased operating costs due to higher integrity spending and higher power costs in the conventional and oil sands pipeline businesses and lower contributions from certain assets. In addition, the revised outlook reflects higher general and administrative expense due to Pemina's rising share price and the resulting increase in the long-term incentive compensation costs. While supporting Pemina's 2021 guidance update, Stronger commodity prices and rising volumes also mean Pemina's customers are in ever better financial positions, generating significant free cash flow and improving their balance sheets, with many reaching their leverage targets earlier than expected. 
sets the stage, we believe, for increased drilling activity and increased capital spending by producers into 2022, with positive implications for Pemina's business. The constructive outlook for the WCSB and customer demand for incremental service led to the reactivation of the Peace Phase 9 pipeline expansion to supporting customers' long-term development plans while further furthering product segregation on the Peace Pipeline system. Further decisions on the Peace 8 pipeline expansion and the Prince Rupert terminal expansion are expected later this year. The same outlook also supports our confidence in the development of a portfolio of growth projects totaling more than $5 billion. This quarter, Pemba announced three significant and transformational and strategic partnerships with compelling ESG attributes. A partnership with the Heisel Nation to develop the Peter LNG project, a partnership with TC Energy Corporation, which envisions development of the Alberta carbon grid, and Chinook Pathways, a partnership with the Western Indigenous Pipeline Group to pursue ownership of the Trans Mountain Pipeline once that project is de-risked. Collectively, these partnerships support PEMINA's global market access strategy, allow for meaningful Indigenous participation in the Canadian energy development, and provide important large-scale infrastructure platform to assist Alberta-based industries to manage their greenhouse gas emissions and contribute to a lower carbon economy. We are proud of this work with communities and our role in creating meaningful solutions. Finally, in recent weeks, Pemban announced and ultimately terminated its proposed acquisition of Inner Pipeline. The industrial logic of a combined Pemban and Inner Pipeline remains unparalleled and the value creation between certain of our assets is impossible to replicate. While we are disappointed with this outcome, we will continue to seek opportunities for growth through focused acquisition. I say that not as a signal for any imminent or specific targets, but as a reminder that such acquisitions have been part of Pemina's success story over many years and will continue to be. The execution of Pemina's long-term strategy is never reliant on a single investment. The record continues to show that while acquisitions may be a tool to execute our strategy, we will remain disciplined, prioritizing shareholder returns and our financial guardrails, but for now we are enjoying the receipt of a $350 million termination fee. We are studying the options available to best invest the termination fee, including business reinvestment, debt repayment, and share buybacks. With that, I'll pass it over to Scott to discuss the financial highlights. Thanks, Mick. Pemina reported adjusted EBITDA of $778 million for the second quarter, 1% lower than the same period last year. Within our core business segments, we saw strong performance from existing assets, along with Prince Rupert Terminal, Empress Infrastructure, and Duvernay 3 being placed into service and facilities and higher interruptible volumes on the Peace Pipeline system. In the marketing business, Pemina benefited from higher margins on NGL and crude oil sales and the positive impact of higher marketed NGL volumes. However, a portion of this improvement in marketing fundamentals was offset by an increase in the realized loss on commodity-related derivatives as part of our systematic hedging program, compared to a gain in the same quarter last year. In addition, second quarter marketing results were negatively impacted by approximately $8 million of rail transportation costs to reposition propane to Corona for sale in the fourth quarter of 2021 (laughs) and first quarter of 2022 rather than for a sale in the second quarter. Further, a portion of the period-over-period differences are due to the timing of storage-related margins, as the majority of 2020 storage margins were earned in the second quarter of 2020 
compared to 2021, where storage margins are being realized evenly throughout the year. Improved overall results in the marketing business were offset by a lower U.S. dollar exchange rate, higher power costs, a portion of which were not recoverable in revenue, and higher general and administrative expenses due to higher long-term incentive costs driven by PEMINA's increasing share price. It is worth noting that in 2021 specifically, each $1 move in PEMINA's share price impacts compensation-related expense by about $2 million. As well, comparatively, the current quarter was impacted by lower revenue at the Edmonton South Rail Terminal due to a one-time $11 million leasing adjustment made in the second quarter of last year that resulted in that quarter being better than it would have otherwise been. In contextualizing our second quarter and year-to-date results, as well as our outlook for the full year of 2021 adjusted EBITDA, it is worth pausing on the impact of changes in foreign exchange rates. Approximately 25% of PEMINA's business is exposed to foreign currency, primarily the U.S. dollar. This exposure primarily resides in our transmission assets in the pipeline division, as well as our marketing business, where the primary pricing benchmarks for the purchase and sale of commodity products occur in U.S. dollars. As part of PEMINA's frac spread hedging program, we hedge the currency exposure embedded in those hedges. Over the last 12 months, the Canada-U.S. dollar exchange rate has exhibited significant volatility. During the second quarter of 2020, the Canadian dollar averaged nearly 1.39 U.S. dollars, while in the second quarter of 2021, it averaged nearly 1.23 U.S. dollars. For the balance of 2021, for each one-cent change in the Canadian-U.S. exchange rate, it equates to roughly $6 million of adjusted EBITDA, with $2 million being attributed to the transmission assets and $4 million attributable to the marketing business. Furthermore, given the seasonal profiles of our marketing business, these sensitivities will vary when applied to quarterly results. Second quarter earnings of $254 million were 2% lower than the same period in the prior year. In addition to the factors impacting EBITDA, earnings were positively impacted by a lower unrealized loss on commodity-related derivatives and lower current tax expense, as well as various other factors outlined in our second quarter report. Total volumes of 3.5 million barrels per day for the second quarter represent approximately a 2% increase over the same period in the prior year. In pipelines, higher interruptible volumes on Peace and Koshin pipelines, as well as higher seasonal volumes on Alliance, were offset by lower interruptible volumes on Vantage, as market conditions exist for end users to source their supply from the Redwater complex, and lower volumes on Ruby pipeline due to contract expiries. In facilities, increased revenue volumes associated with DuVernay 3 being placed into service in the fourth quarter of 2020 was largely offset by lower supply volumes on the East NGL system, as these assets are now being processed at the Empress NGL extraction facility. Overall, however, as Mick highlighted, we have seen strong year-to-date results, and our outlook for the remainder of the year and into 2022 remains very positive, reflecting a stronger economic backdrop, robust energy prices, and improved outlook for producer activity levels. I'll now turn things over to Mick for closing comments. Thanks, Scott. In closing, what has emerged over the course of an exciting past few months reflects continued progress towards a clear vision for PEMINA's future. Our ambitions are being realized and we look forward to continuing to build out our diversified and integrated value chain, providing an exceptional customer service offering, including global market access for their products. At the same time, we remain committed to providing industry-leading total shareholder returns, including a stable and growing dividend, and furthering our ESG strategy, collectively in service of our employees, communities, customers, and investors. We'd once again like to thank all of our stakeholders for their support, and with that, we'll wrap things up. 
Operator, please open up the line for questions. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, that is star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Once again, that is star one if you would like to ask a question. Your first question comes from Ben Tam from BEMO. Hi, thanks, Mario, everybody. Uh, I wanted to uh, first start off with a broader uh, carbon grid. When you uh, first announced that project, there's reference to tying it with the interpipeline acquisition. Uh, you set up that project in your your package this this morning. So is that that's still an opportunity for you, regardless of uh, you not moving forward on the IPL? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. Uh, okay. So and then. Um, could you then comment on uh, the USRFX strategy, uh, hedging, natural hedges, how, how you think about that going forward? BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello? Ben, can you repeat the question? Sorry, we, we had trouble hearing you. Yes, I had a question about the, the USRFX uh, strategy or hedging strategy. As you think about the sensitivity, share some sensitivity levels, and, and how do you think about that next six to 12 months? Yeah. Yeah, Ben. I, I think as we as we think about the U.S. dollar, I mean, you know, we, for some time we've been talking about uh, diversification of currencies as being core to our strategy, and and through that, uh, you know, looking at at a, a, a global, a more global enterprise for and, and that naturally occurring. So, you know, part of our our strategy there has been uh, obviously to hedge the marketing cash flows because. Uh, on, on across the board, and you know, including the commodities uh, as, as well as some of the foreign exchange on the frac spread business, noting that that is you know some of the, the more variable cash flows in our business. Uh, at, at the same time, we, we have been uh, in the past having a, a you know a reasonably large U.S. dollar denominated capital spend as well, and so we've always been uh, somewhat naturally hedged. Uh, you know, a little bit less so in the last couple quarters. Uh, which is, you know, which is why we, you know, we've we've left the currency unhedged. Uh, but uh, as we look forward, I mean, it's always something that we're thinking about um, uh, as, as we as we execute our strategy. Okay, great. And maybe to close off uh, on on acquisitions, I'm curious, like, what what do you think the uh, 
the biggest sources of acquisitions could be for the next couple of years. Even more consolidating the Canadian side, uh, some of those Canadian assets have come up U.S. exposure. Uh, but now as you look at the landscape, there's there's just not many names left in Canada. Do you need to, to go to the U.S. more? Is there still uh, a lot of opportunities still you see in Canada for some tuck-ins? Like what's what's the thought process in the next couple of years? Um, listen, we we're focused on you know we've talked about Advantage Canada. We we believe that I think it's it's playing out um, very well for us. And uh, you know the nice thing about Pemina is we're right in the middle of ev- everything. So everything we look to acquire, we have tremendous synergy with. So, um, but uh, I think most importantly, you can only buy things that are for sale. So we you know we have and continue to look at, at everything and and. Um, see what has the the biggest uh, strategic importance to us, which generally relates to, um, you know, vertically integrating our value chain and pushing to to Tidewater on on all products. So things that that help us realize those those two goals are are, uh, most in scope. Okay, got it. Thank you. Your next question is from Shurner Gershani. From UBS. We start off with a, a discussion about PDH, just sort of following, you know, the the IPL merger that, given the fact that it's no longer proceeding, just kind of thinking, just wondering actually how we should sort of be thinking about your PDH needs, uh, you know, with respect to Pemina. Um, do you? consider potentially pursuing a JV option with Brookfield, um, you know, to build both? Um, are you sort of looking at, you know, kind of the amount of volume that you control? Can you potentially get an equity stake in, in, in a project, you know, through an MVC? And just kind of wondering what the strategy is kind of on a go-forward basis and how you're thinking about it. And I, and I truly recognize that you're probably very early in the process right now. Uh, y- yes and no. I mean, um, you know, when we when we uh, laid down uh, the hammers on PDH the first time, um, it was, you know, really because of the pan- pandemic and, and the lump sum turnkey contracts got away from us. But we never uh, said, you know, that project was canceled. We said it was suspended. We, we said LNG and, and uh, value-added projects remained in strategy. And so if you... You zoom out from that, you know, for us to get products to Tidewater, sometimes we need to turn them into something different. So we're trying to create demand for our customers' products. And, you know, that might be direct export of propane or turning propane into propylene or propylene into polypropylene and then exporting it or, you know, uh, so... It's all got the same root um, to the extent we can build fee-for-service infrastructure in the petrochemical business. Um, that, that's an avenue for us to create create uh, local demand and, and get get our customers' products to to the highest value markets. And um, uh, sometimes that's the, the product in its current form. Sometimes you got to liquefy, you know, methane uh, to, to, to move it. Um, so all that remains in scope for us, but it has the same root, which is, you know, we think that uh, uh, hydrocarbon demand, um, you know, long after North America stabilizes, and we don't know uh, when when peak demand is in North America, um, but uh, long after that, there'll be growing demand internationally, and, and we need to connect uh, our, our uh, world-leading basin to that demand. 
Okay, so point is, is that you're probably still pursuing that this option. Is that, is that kind of the takeaway? Uh, yes, uh, yes, we've we've stated LNG and and uh, you know value added projects, uh, including uh, uh, production of uh, polypropylene, provided they meet our guardrails. They they are uh, petrochemical infrastructure. Uh, and not necessarily being in the commodity chemical business, they remain in strategy, yes. All right, perfect. It, it, maybe to just pivot uh, to a quick discussion about your, your guidance that you just laid out. Um, you know, I, I, from our perspective, you know, to you is a bit of a challenge, um, but yet you, you definitely have raised your guidance for this year. I'm kind of curious what you're thinking about with respect to your kind of your exit rate for 4Q. Um, as we sort of think about, you know, what that means as we set up for 2022. Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we we uh, we think we're building through the year. I think our our, uh, you know, uh, clearly the 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 raising the lower end is a, is a good thing. Um, you know, I know some analysts were, were hoping we would raise the the top end, but. It's still pretty early in the year, and boy, I, I sure don't know what I'm going to read in the newspaper next week. And and so there's still a lot of moving pieces. We we just didn't think that there was compelling evidence uh, to, to do more than what what we've done. But we're we're definitely building through the year. Uh, some of the quarterly results I've read, uh, I think like CNRL, I think they but they they bump their uh, their their capital spending for the year. So we're starting to see. Uh, people, you know, drill one extra pad, you know, for example, and, you know, one pad can be 100, uh, you know, uh, uh, 100 million a day of gas and 20,000 barrels a day of liquid. So those things matter. And, and um, you know, people are reaching their debt targets uh, earlier and uh, they're, they're buying back their shares. I'm talking about our customers. But uh, as, as the generalists step into this space, and share prices go up. Um, you know, at some point, there's a there's a tipping point where producers are going to start to drill because that's a better investment than their shares. You know, when they're trading at, you know, uh, uh, three or four times cash flow, you can't blame them for buying back their shares. But, you know, uh, lots of lots of wells have have a hundred percent rate of return too. So, when that tipping point is, we we don't think it's necessarily now until debt targets have been reached but we, we think for a lot of producers that's gonna that's gonna change and and uh, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for for 2022 capital guidance like like a kid waiting for Christmas because I think uh, I think it's going to be pretty exciting to see to see what the basin does next so the so the key takeaway here is that we should outside of seasonal factors which are always there we should, you know, on the base business, be seeing sequential improvements like 3Q versus 2Q, 4Q versus 3Q, and it sets up for 22 if if the tipping point that you just articulated comes to fruition. Is that kind of the fair way to think about it? Yeah, that's how I think about it. I mean, uh, you heard the, the forward-looking information waiver. Uh, a lot can happen in this crazy <laughs> world we're in right now. But, but yeah, and, and listen, our second quarter is usually our weakest quarter. Last year was kind of anomalous because we made all of our storage revenue in one month versus kind of rateably through the year. So, um, you know, we feel pretty good about uh, the way the year is going to 
going to finish. We're seeing some some nice signs like uh, you know alliances back in the money. The the basis differential we haven't seen that. The dollar uh, Canadian dollar you know actually dropped a little bit. I think from the end of the the second quarter, oil prices are stabilizing around 70 U.S. Uh, so you know there's there's some positive things going on that. Um, uh, you know, um, had us raise the low end of our guidance. Um, but uh, like I said, it, it, w- it was just a little uh, early, I think, with, you know, given, you know, what we're reporting now to, to go beyond that. I think uh, our, uh, our, our raising the low end of our guidance was prudent. Perfect. Thank you very much. We really appreciate the color today and have a great weekend. You as well. Your next question is from Robert Kwan from RBC Capital Markets. Good morning. Um, I'm going to come back to how you're approaching or how you approach acquisitions. Um, You you had IPL and other corporate deals you have. It's a kind of fairly seamless. I know there is some friction, but seamless where the equity gets placed. You know, as you think about doing discrete asset deals where, let's say, the seller doesn't want to take equity, how much does the financing size uh, factor into the magnitude of, of what you pursue um, just from that deal size perspective? Um, I'll, I'll just give you my layman's perspective and then I'll turn it over to Cam and Scott who have a much deeper knowledge. But, um, you know, if you look at the Kinder, I'll give you a real life example. I mean, the the, the bid ask spread with Kinder after uh, it was close to a year of negotiating was really um, conquered by uh, the the seller taking our equity, you know that was I think a hundred million bucks, give or take, at that point, and and that was the bid ask spread. So so you know those are important dollars to retain between the buyer and the seller, and um, and if you look back at all of our large acquisitions, they've been funded with Pemina equity, and if you look back, uh, things went well for the people who took our equity. They they. Uh, generally, uh, you know, uh, got 100 cents on the dollar, or maybe had a, a point of leakage. But often, they actually held a little while and 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 made money. You know, uh, some of the happiest shareholders I I have the privilege of meeting are came in at Provident. You know, and and uh, they've they've really really rung the bell, and they have really low ACBs. And I would hazard to say, if we had a closed interpipe, uh, a bunch of those shareholders would have been very happy as, as well as, as the synergies unfolded. Uh, so it's an important part of, um, of, of value sharing between buyers and sellers. Cam or Scott, do you have anything to add to that? Maybe I'll just jump in here. I mean, obviously, Robert, to the extent that we do anything in the public markets, there's there's pretty significant uh, friction costs that, that come along with that. So our our preference has always been to work directly with with sellers and, and use our shares directly. Uh, but backing up a step, and and I think answering the question more directly as it relates to kind of discrete assets, um, you know, I think from our perspective, uh, you know, with access to to the equity markets, the debt markets, hybrids, prefs, um, what I can say is that we haven't run across a transaction that's been inhibited by our ability to access capital. Uh, we feel pretty comfortable, and and not just our own opinion, but but advice of our third-party advisors, our ability to to raise pretty significant capital. Now that being said, I think what has evolved uh, over the last couple of years is our thinking around capital recycling. You know, so to the extent that 
we are limited uh, by capital markets or it makes sense. You know, we have options as it relates to capital recycling. And also over the last couple of years, we've developed some, some pretty significant uh, relationships and, and could look at various partnerships or, or JV opportunities as well to help bridge financing. So all that to be said is it's, it's certainly something that we think a lot about, but to date haven't run into any major roadblocks as it relates to that. Got it. Um, just as part of the guidance, you had a quote, um, you know, tempering what you did just with lower contribution or expected lower contribution from certain assets. Um, just wondering, you know, which ones are you referring to specifically and maybe as part of that, can you just give some comments on the Ruby situation? Scott, Scott, you want to take that? Uh, sh sure. I, I think as we as we looked at, at Q2 specifically, um, we, we had slightly lower contributions uh, as it relates to Ruby. Um, alliance volumes were okay. I think the, the interruptible tolls and uh, were, were slightly lower. Uh, our Kinder tanks had slightly lower revenue this quarter, and as we stated previously, there was some lower interruptible volumes on Vantage. So I wouldn't say, Robert, it was any kind of one specific asset. It was kind of a, a small amount across a, a couple different assets. Got it. Um, and if I can just finish with a question here on hedging, um, I think the 22 hedges based on your disclosure were all added either in Q2 or subsequent to the quarter if you've had additional activity. Can you just frame um, as best you can what, what that pricing looks like for 22. I don't know if you can just do it against the elimination of, of the realized losses that you've had on the hedge book today. Um, Scott, maybe I can, I can, sorry, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I, I was just going to say, you know, I think, um, you know, your, your, your point is accurate in terms of when those, those hedges have been added. And, uh, you know, you can look across uh, the the frac spreads for Q2, uh, you know, relative to to Q1, and and recognize that they're you know they're they've been fairly consistent on a rateable basis. I think that's a a good proxy for uh, for for where the numbers are. Um, and then just uh, you know looking forward to the realized losses. You know, I, um, I have to think a bit about about your answer, but uh, you know to put into context. The, the losses from this year have been realized, uh, obviously, for hedges that were put on, you know, sort of throughout uh, throughout the balance of 2020, uh, through till uh, really uh, the the end of October of, of 2020, on a, on a relatively rateable basis. Uh, and, and if you look back, you know, those those levels are are sort of uh, close to half of of where we are today. Uh, so I think that gives you a bit of a, uh, a framework of, of how the losses uh, might might calibrate to what we're seeing currently and, and looking forward to 2022. Okay, that's great. Thanks very much. Your next question is from Robert Cadillier from CIBC Capital Markets. Hey, good morning. Uh, most of these are going to be follow-ups, but uh, I wondered if you could provide a little bit more uh, color on uh, the, the best use of the, the, the break fee. Um, on the one hand, you, you have a lot of uh, projects you could do internally, so, but some of the major projects have, uh, you know, long development cycles. So as what, at what point does it make more sense to 
you know, just buy back the stock like you were suggesting. And, you know, if one of the projects hits, then you can always finance later. I just wonder if you could provide more color on um, or really the best use of the break fee in the next six months. Robert, it's the same debate we always have internally. You know, the finance guys want to pay off debt, and I want to invest it in future projects. And you know, uh, you know, others want to su support the the the, the stock because uh, we think it's you know the the yield is is very high and uh, it's a little underappreciated. So that debate is alive and well. And uh, I think we you know we uh, we're sitting down as a as a, a management team and. And really assessing, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, how how and when our business grows. Um, it would be a shame to to buy back stock and then pay a big commission. You know, kind of further to, to Robert Kwan's uh, comment, pay a big commission to raise new money. You know, you'd look a little foolish then. Uh, on the other hand, it's kind of um, you know a windfall, and and uh, we weren't counting on that money uh, 90 days ago, and and here it is, and so. You know, ha have some fun with it. So, but we, we don't know honestly. Uh, every use is is a good use. Uh, that uh, you know, among the three choices. Yeah, that's a that's a fair answer. Uh, a little bit more of a detailed question here, but just on the Alberta crude terminal capacity, uh, can that be repurposed, or for example, for biofuels or anything else, or what's the, what's the plan there? Uh, yeah, yeah, great question. It can be repurposed, um, but I, I think as we've talked about, it's under long-term contract with, with our partner there, so obviously that would be subject to a negotiated arrangement with our partner. Yeah, I mean, it's way underused, Robert. I mean, you're, you're spot on. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a shame, the rate of underutilization of that asset. So that's on our, uh, our to-do list. Okay, great. And just last... Uh, Last question there, you know, given the change in basis differential, have you seen much uh, improvement in activity on Alliance? I'm thinking not, not the volumes, but the recontracting uh, efforts. Yeah, we're, we're seeing really positive signs. And even before, um, probably more of the shorter term improvement in the basis differential, we've seen an uptick in interest. So feeling directionally really positive about it, Robert. Yeah, it's kind of fitting like you know, it's always hard when, when you got a little pinch, but if you look back over a long period of time, that pipes in the money, uh, particularly when you consider the valuable uh, cargo of NGLs it carries. Uh, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a great pipe. It's unique, and, and things tend to revert to the mean there. Uh, so, um, you know, we'll, uh, you know, it, it is nice, though, to, to see it come back in the money. I'm not going to lie, but uh, it, it's doing what we expected. Yeah, on a more macro basis, we, we feel really strong in some of the structural advantages that um, Alliance has with 10 BCF um, of LNG facilities still being constructed and commissioning. And I think our longer-term perspective um, and perspective we're seeing from the market is that the U.S. is going to be on a net basis with LNG exports short. So we feel like the um, alliance is in a longer-term basis a really positive structural position. Okay. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Cheers. Your next question is from Patrick Keeney from National Bank Financial. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, maybe just to start with some of the higher maintenance and integrity costs uh, in the quarter. Just curious. 
if there were any unforeseen geotechnical issues um, or any acceleration of activities that, that might actually reduce integrity expense going forward? Um, on the geotechnical perspective, Patrick, there have been no surprises. Um, I think given the relatively um, dry spring season we had, it's been good from that perspective. Um, the integrity work was really a rollover of some deferred work from last year that we were working through with our integrity group to get our heads around on when the spend needs to happen. Um, and then, then on the operating cost side, it's all driven by um, Alberta power costs, pool prices. Okay, great. And and maybe on that front, so Scott, thanks for the uh, the FX sensitivities, but just on the power cost exposure, it looks like about two-thirds of your power costs are flow-through, um, if I'm reading that correctly. But maybe just some color on how far you're able to go out and hedge the remaining one-third, um, how you might be thinking about mitigating your longer-term exposure, perhaps you know, a refresh on other co-gen opportunities across the portfolio. That'd be great. Uh, good morning, Pat. Jared here. Um, with respect to the cogen, so yeah, you, you're you're fairly accurate in the two thirds um, that is is recoverable. Um, the cogen that's going in at Empress, so that that is a um, a permanent marketing asset. So once that's in service, Q4 2022, that'll mitigate a, a significant chunk of of power there and exposure to those costs. Um, we're also, um, we have two other sites that we're actively um, pursuing the engineering and, you know, doing our front-end feed um, in our gas processing business with cogens, um, which will mitigate another uh, pretty big chunk of power. And then I'll let Stu talk about, um, you know, the recent PPA that we, that we signed go forward that, that'll help mitigate those costs in the future. Hey, Patrick. Um, so, yeah, we're really pleased uh, we're working with TransAlta on our first uh, PPA contract, 100 megawatts of power. We, we um, obviously uh, really like the pricing and at the same time the, the, you know, the credits and the benefits that will come with that. That, uh, that, uh, the, the, that power will, is being built. We are on some, uh, some short-term benefits and some additional power that are coming in and will grow from 50 megawatts to 100 megawatts over the next two years. So we're excited about the first 100 megawatts. We are active um, in conversation for additional uh, PPA contracts. Uh, we, we believe uh, it's beneficial to lock those in. Uh, we're seeing some positives on, on the pricing side. Um, particularly in relation to the recent uptick in the power pricing that, that we've seen. So we're very active on, on the larger scale power PPA contracts. We're looking at smaller opportunities as well as we look at, uh, you know, some of our assets. And, you know, Jared's mentioned some of the cogens, but there's, there's additional opportunities to, to pursue what we believe is some, some cheaper power pricing for uh, Pemina's assets for, the, for both the benefit of Pemina itself and our customers. Excellent. That's great color, guys. Uh, last one for me, just on the uh, Cedar LNG. I'm just curious how the, uh, the coastal gas link cost overrun might jeopardize the economics and I guess your chances of reaching a, a positive FID on the project. I know you still have until 2023 to make the call, but um, given it's a very fluid situation right now, any color on how sensitive the $3 billion capital cost and overall returns might be to the pipeline project itself that'd be great yeah you know as we went in uh you know obviously um you know we're, we were aware of of the the challenges that coastal gas link was experiencing 
we'd factored in that into the economics. We still believe uh, the Cedar LNG project, uh, the benefit of a floating LNG project, our, our ability to, to um, you know, have that built in a, a, I'll call it a lump sum environment overseas, to bring that here, the uniqueness of the size and, and you know, the, the great work done by the Heisla in securing that capacity. We take it into account, Patrick, the, some cost increase there. You know, we are, we are working closely with um, LNG Canada, um, you know, as the major contractor on the coastal gasoline pipeline, uh, you know, working, uh, you know, there'll be many conversations with coastal gasoline themselves, um, but we've taken that into account in the economics and still believe Cedar is, is economically advantaged uh, from a cost structure perspective of delivering LNG into the Asian markets on a go-forward basis. So, um, as you said, we, we've got lots of work to do to, as we work through the, the feed engineering. Um, there will be many conversations over the next uh, little while. Um, I, I believe uh, those will be intense and accelerated as, as there's a lot of money um, on the ground already from from many, many people, and so we're, we're anxiously watching, but we do enjoy the benefit of the great work that the Heisler did in securing the capacity and the commercial arrangements on Coastal GasLink. Okay, great. Thanks for that, Stu, and enjoy the rest of the summer, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. There are no further questions in queue. I would now like to turn the conference back to Mr. Mick Dilger from closing comments. Uh, well, um, Thanks everybody for your support through the, uh, Quan called it the IPL saga. Uh, thanks to all, all my my uh, colleagues here for, for the, the, the great work. It wasn't what we hoped for, as I mentioned, but uh, it was still a good outcome for us. And I think uh, it was kind of a, a window into the future for, for Pamina and, and all the things we we can do and, and uh, uh, we'll be focused on over the, the years to come. So. Uh, have a great uh, summer, everybody, and um, hope to see you in person sometime soon. Bye. This does conclude today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.